0: Hello and welcome to another installment of Behind the Fourth Wall, a podcast where we review and discuss movies, TV series, and anything else pop culture. In today's episode, we'll be summing up our thoughts on the Loki series uh, and reviewing the latest assembled series episode devoted to Loki. Uh, My name is Ivan, and I'm joined today by my co-host and proud owner of what is probably the very last blockbuster
1: card um, in the world, Emmett. The 1993 1994. Oh wait, no, that's a different person <laughs> and different blockbuster thing. Sorry. Uh,
0: is is it the scanning, the the one with the little barcode and at the in the back, or is it the one that they had to swipe on the registers?
1: It was like when they went miniature, and it was like able to fit on your key ring.
0: Oh, okay. Damn. Okay, that's that's all. So it,
1: it was like the last of their evolution
0: before
1: they uh, <laughs> went extinct. All but right, Block, Blockbuster. Blockbuster was. Uh, The the best part of the youth, the use. (laughs) Thanks
0: to Blockbuster, I saw Batman and Robin. So,
1: what was like your go-to path uh, in Blockbuster? What are you doing? Are you visiting the gaming section? Are you going movies? So, I had a really ghetto Blockbuster. I think this was one right
0: by um, Jackson Heights and Woodside. Uh, growing up so they, they all they had was, it was a big blockbuster but they didn't have a gaming section oh. i remember towards the end of it they kept saying oh they reserved like three shelves for gaming but it just never, never came <laughs> um but yeah like i the best part of that that was also always well, the like very discounted almost busted up um tapes that they would sell uh, at like really really cheap rates and i'd just take those home because i never had a Subscription. I'd always go to check it out, but I didn't have a uh, membership card, so always looking out for deals there.
1: Yeah, Blockbuster was great because it was like you could just everybody had equal say, right? Everybody got to pick their movie, and then the the real fight wasn't in the store; it was back at home trying to get the VCR. <laughs>
0: Oof, God,
1: you remember that "Be Kind and Rewind" signs you'd always got? Yeah, forget that. that's what I'm paying you for (laughs) no but the gaming section was amazing at ours it was stacked to the brim and then you could even develop your photos from pokemon snap there if you brought your memory card I didn't know you could get
0: your pokemon snap um pictures at blockbuster developed
1: yeah yeah wow (laughs) the fact that you could develop those at all was a modern feat in technology
0: it was. Didn't they have that little mobile printer thing that they used yeah. to sell? God, I I missed the 90s, man.
1: <laughs> yeah, they brought Pokemon Snap back, but it feels like it, you know, it it should have stayed with the original. I kind of want to give it a shot
0: though. Like I have nothing else to play on the Switch at the moment, but
1: I'd rather kids have to go track down an N64, <laughs> roll on a cartridge, put it in, and take pictures on a Polaroid. What what equates to a Polaroid? These kids now have a digital camera of a game.
0: That is true, but I've seen vinyl come
1: back. I've seen, the, the, I've seen kids carrying around Polaroid cameras, too. We've diverted here enough. Let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're talking low-key today. We're going to skip the news. Uh, we'll put that into our regular episode. Uh, we realize we're behind on the this schedule here, but we really wanted to... Uh, you know, put all of our thoughts into Loki before we gave it a review. And in that note as well, we're not going to do a spoiler free section just because this episode itself is just a wrap up of the series. So if you haven't seen any of the series, I guess this is your warning that we're going to be talking about the in- the series in its entirety.
0: Wait, are we skipping my uh, top 10 K-pop songs uh, segment as well?
1: Yeah, we're going to put that in its own special episode. That's probably going to be our 50th episode. Oh, cool. Okay, great. <laughs> we'll devote a whole hour to your top 10 K-pop. All right, cool. Because I have got, <laughs> got a lot of notes. That'll be like a two-hour episode. Looking forward to that one. All right, let's start with, uh, I guess, the only section we'll call this for this episode is just like favorite parts of this documentary. And we can wrap it up with final series thoughts. What did you like about this Assembled uh, episode? Tom Hiddleston entirely like the whole oh (laughs) loki struck chord with you on the loki episode
0: (laughs) yeah i really really i don't know what it is this tom hiddleston guy he they should give him his own like show (laughs) and they should do a decade of filming him they should but they should only give him like right below 20 minutes of screen time before you flesh out his character over six hours of like content
1: yeah no i do agree with you though this did feel like it was his thing like it was his project um Like Wanda or Elizabeth Olsen also had a major part in walking us through the behind the scenes of WandaVision. But I feel like Anthony Mackie, I can't really remember him being that important or big in the behind the scenes. No, I think Tom Hiddleston,
0: this is kind of funny because I feel like his this episode kind of stands out above the others because of his touch. Like he he narrates throughout the whole thing. Yeah. Which I don't think we quite get with the last two. I I do think, if I remember a little bit, um, Elizabeth Olsen does do some of that. But it's not as much as this at all. It's not organized, no. Right. And this feels like, it, it felt like those old documentaries that I always bring up on the show that I used to watch on DVD extras back in the day. Like, they used to take such good, meticulous care of it. And, like, it's almost kind of like a work of art on its own. And that's what this felt like.
1: Yeah, and he makes he opens up the this episode with calling out the fact that not only is their whole show their plot based around time, it's also like we are so limited for time to tell you everything we want to tell you. And then he becomes very organized with the sections of this episode, which is was so refreshing. And you're right, it did combine kind of the best of two elements or, or the best of the elements from the other two assembled episodes. Like Falcon and Winter Soldier focused a lot on like their plot and their choices that they like of character development that they made and like the importance of uh, topics they wanted to cover. While Wanda, because it was such a like different and creative type of a show, they focused on like the format and the costumes and um, the set designs and all that stuff. But this feels like they made enough time for both.
0: They really did take a lot more care, I feel, in this one to to give us a very presentable, um, informative piece here. The other thing that kind of stood out to me, too, was it felt like this. And we, we've we kind of touched on this before about how actors sometimes, um, I guess, will play up for the camera, like their interest in, in their role or I guess their nerdiness per se, right? And I wouldn't call Tom Hiddleston necessarily like a comic book fanboy, but it, he does seem like somebody who's come to genuinely love the role that he's playing. Um, and I feel like the even just the reason that he's narrating this whole thing kind of shows that.
1: Yeah, he is without a doubt, and they, they review this as part of his history, being a Shakespearean actor and coming from like that school of thought, he has totally poured himself into this character. And you're right, I don't know if he is big on the comic books, but he's poured himself and like surrounded himself in this character and is taken it to the to the furthest level. He definitely has. And
0: I feel like it kind of speaks to just exactly why we both kind of felt like this series might have the best kind of performances out of the initial bunch that we've seen so far.
1: Yeah, the thing that I was thinking about before this, before we recorded was like wanda i think we said it in probably our last analysis of an episode was like wanda and falcon both set up for not for our second season but to see these characters again in the future um whereas this one it like and you would be happy about that this one it feels like i would demand it almost and it also is like this this series wasn't so much just, like, the evolution of Loki as it was, like, the origin story of, like, five other characters. Like, we, like, there's not really an origin story or, like, introduction of anyone of importance in the other episode, in the other series. Like, maybe Monica is going to be big from WandaVision, but, I don't know, Falcon didn't really have that that many major players.
0: Yeah, Falcon and Winter Soldier, I feel like, was just, like, the evolution of two existing characters. WandaVision, I feel like they did set up Monica for a bigger role just because they reserved that whole after credit sequence for her with right. um, her eventually... Like, I guess it's hinted that she'll eventually meet Nick Fury, but she gets that moment and that's it, and I feel like this show takes its time to really kind of almost let us know, hey, this is somebody of importance and you should probably pay attention to what's... Uh,
1: Yeah, you get Sylvie, you get Mobius, you get Renslayer, you get Kang. Like, everybody was introduced and built out a little bit.
0: And you get the... You know, we might have talked about this during the reviews, but Renslayer was a character I thought was kind of a throwaway in the beginning.
1: Yeah, they were very big on, like, her importance in there. And that was one that I felt like, I don't know if you guys got the... If, like, what you wanted to achieve with her came across. And that does go back to, like, Tom's point about that we're in a limited amount of time here it took us over a year to film and we edited it down to just about six hours worth of watch time and that's actually counting credits too so it's like you can't have every character come through in as big a way as you as you want um so i feel like we both thought she was a bit of a throwaway and like it didn't really work with her but it seems like in this documentary that they were very proud with her well,
0: it seems like they intentionally did that to kind of set her up because part of the, I guess, uh, the the expectation I guess set because of this uh, assembled episode is also this expectation of like, oh, we're we're going to further build upon what we did on this show. So with Renslayer, it felt like they, after watching this episode, that they intentionally set her up to kind of probably play with her a little bit more in season two. Um, so we we got I guess the beginning of it here.
1: Where I don't. Yeah, I just feel like I don't see her becoming that big in season two either, unless they like force the issue. I personally just think that they're just gonna use her to keep the Kang memory alive or something like that, or like the TVA memory going kind of thing.
0: Yeah, I feel like she'll play I I don't know. I, I feel like she will play a bigger role in season two, but I feel like it's because she's tied to to Kang, uh, which this. Um, the way that they talked about Kang in this assembled episode, you know how, like in the last episode where we talked about the final episode of Loki, we, I theorized at the end that like maybe Kang isn't the next Thanos, but they kind of hit us over the head with it in this episode and said, yeah, he definitely is. Like that was the whole intent. Like this <laughs> is the next big Thanos threat. So I was wrong. <laughs> Did you
1: say that? I feel like uh, I don't remember that.
0: Towards the end of our conversation, I said, I'm not sure if they're necessarily laying him out to be the next Thanos level threat.
1: But I, I tune you out. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, why would you think that, man? He's the guy who creates the script for everyone. That's true. It's just that I thought. I didn't agree with you, did I? I tuned myself out as well. <laughs> <laughs> this was two weeks ago at this point. <laughs> that's, that's pretty bad for my memory, isn't it? <laughs> I know. <laughs> no, I I don't think
0: um, I don't think you agreed with with my um, takeaway from that. I I just felt like perhaps because they were building up on the season two, that they weren't necessarily going to tie Kang oh. to the MCU so quickly. But
1: I may be wrong. Well, also, yeah, theatrically, he's not supposed to be in until like twenty twenty three, right? Yeah. Yeah, that I think that was the thing that we were talking, about now I remember sort of.
0: But I guess it makes sense because Marvel does usually to kind of times their, their things out, and um, you know they 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 play the the waiting game, pretty effectively.
1: Yeah, on Thanos they introduced him in the first Avengers, and then he didn't really have anything to do until Infinity War, really. Yeah, he didn't even show up until Guardians. He
0: had that one brief scene. Yeah, and then like he didn't really take part in the plot all that much.
1: Right, right, right. So I, it seems very Marvel esque to introduce someone in just a mini format but they didn't really talk about uh jonathan majors like as much as i would have liked no they're still being a little bit cagey with uh but i just mean like his performance i don't mean like what kang's involvement is or like when are we going to see him again type of thing i just mean like we were gushing over that he killed his monologues and tom kind of just brushed it over as like He joined us in the last week, and he brings his, like, great presence on screen. (laughs) Yeah, I I think they probably did not get him in for,
0: uh, or or they didn't really have all that much time with him for this documentary. I know that when he was filming this, he was wrapping up uh, Lovecraft Country. So it could be, like, a a whole, like, time issue. Because I know he's been pretty busy within the last year and a half or so with different projects.
1: So yeah, that could be it. Also WandaVision ran into that issue too, where it's like they devoted so much time to the earlier episodes and then ran out of time on what they could show us in the assembled the right. later episodes of it. Which on a little
0: bit off topic, but like they did the same thing with the uh, similar to the assembled series, but the, the Mandalorian got their behind the scenes episode two, And they're just, they announced that they're doing one on the finale specifically for the finale. Um, in the coming weeks and they i i believe i could be wrong about this but i believe they cited that it was because of limitations of COVID that they couldn't get mark hamill to speak about the episode and all that before so
1: it could be that maybe we'll get something more of him uh, down the line i mean we probably would have gotten it by now uh i think another major thing that i got out of this assembled episode was I loved how much they, like, self-reflected and analyzed the theme and, like, the topics that they covered, much like they did in Falcon Winter Soldier. But this one, they talked a lot about, like, what is the, like, central thread of the story for Loki, and it's about, like, the self-acceptance and, like, self-love, right?
0: Right. They fleshed out a lot of that Sylvie-Loki relationship a bit, and also, like, really, when... further into detail as to what drives Loki and what kind of makes him who he is
1: yeah and like the thing I I don't they didn't go fully in this depth but the thing that like I thought about after watching that and I texted you like as soon as I was watching it was like the major thing that like everybody had was like up in arms in about was like the self-cest right like falling in love with yourself and like <laughs> yeah. is it weird is it okay and I think that was like A distraction on what the point of it was is like if loki's able to fall in love with sylvie the importance is not that it's like weird but the importance instead is that he's able to love like characteristics of her which he carries himself which relates back to like their main thread of you know appreciating yourself and accepting your limitations and and figuring out how to overcome certain things I, I thought that was like really well done, and I it's not something I really thought about until getting to hear their discussion on it.
0: Yeah, definitely. Like I've heard other people kind of talk about how when we when the episodes were airing that they felt like it was all about accepting yourself and loving yourself. I couldn't quite connect it all that much, but after yeah, after watching this episode, I could I could see where those threads are laying. Um, one of the things that I feel like was was done really well is explaining that loki is who he is because of his almost like desire to please um this like image of himself that he can't quite see himself in so i feel like the root of his issues is always the fact that he doesn't really love who he is until
1: until now it's so hard to say that like these are well built arcs for a character like he adapt like grew so much uh As a person, when I keep getting hung up on the thing that's like, well, Kang wrote the whole plot for him, so he wrote a good character. like, like I don't know. The thing that doesn't do it for me for this series is that like they made a big point to say like we didn't want to undo Loki sacrificing himself to Thanos in Infinity War. We wanted to find another way to explore a timeline with a different Loki and still get to work with Tom. Yeah, you didn't undo that, but you undid everything else by saying this was all a plot written by one person.
0: Well, that's where I feel like we're, we're probably going to disagree on because I feel like there's nothing that, like, I feel like there's nothing concrete enough to say that Kang did write everything. I feel like that's part of the, I guess, the dogma um, that he kind of mocks a little bit, right? And when when he and um, when Sylvie kind of brings it up as kind of referring to him as like a would-be god. But I don't think Kang's necessarily writing anything. I feel like he's just literally he knows what's going to happen because he's from the future. So he wants certain things to happen so that he's able to kind of play this game that he's playing I, I don't think he necessarily is controlling anybody's fate i think it's more so that he will prevent certain futures. you had
1: the script written <laughs> like yeah but i th- mean like it, it wasn't that he wrote it like he showed them word for word what they said
0: <laughs> yeah but i feel like that that also comes down to because especially like in the comics the, the character of uh evan mortis he's not like a god per se like he doesn't write out all this stuff he just knows but they deviated from the comics they long. did they did but i feel like there's certain things that they are kind of like expressively hinting at and i don't think we as the audience are supposed to know that until season two or like delve a little bit deeper because i, I again i feel like kang you can always kind of explain the way as like he just has future tech and that's how he knows everything that's going to play out because this whole thing was like he's literally just clipping branches to make sure that his reality remains linear and I feel like the motivation for that is because he wants time to flow in one certain way that he wants it to flow. But I don't think he necessarily is like this supreme god kind of guy.
1: Um, oh, that's interesting. Like he has the script for the one uh, right. path and anything that diverts off of that, off that script. That's what he's clipping. Right. Because he it's not like he wrote it.
0: Right. He didn't write it. He just knows what's going to
1: happen. And that's if- interesting.
0: So that's where I feel like they're taking this into, because I th- that's the way that I kind of took it, took it away. Because again, we come back to like the multiversal war thing that he prevented and and got rid of. So he knows what can lead to that type of disaster again, and so he's just like trimming the the branches. Because if that was happening before he, quote unquote, brought peace, right? Then that would imply that the other actions that happened, nobody had any hand in writing that. It's literally just free will. He's just eliminating free will in instances that would divert from the plan that he wants things to flow into
1: Mm, that's interesting i like that better because i feel like it's better that he's like a trickster as opposed to a like way too overpowerful being
0: yeah no yeah no and he's he's never been like this ultra powerful omnipotent being like every and the reason why he's able to take on the avengers in the comics and all these other um iterations of him is because he's from the future he has all this advanced technology that um would kind of make sense right because like if you take yourself now and go back to like the stone age (laughs) uh, you would seem like a god to these people
1: yeah yeah
0: that's true one of the cool things that they kind of touched on the show too i feel like uh, you you know i don't know if we kind of shared this but i was really excited about owen wilson (laughs) um getting onto the mcu and it was cool to see that dynamic he had with with Tom, uh, because while Owen isn't necessarily either a comic book nerd per se. Right. It seems like he was he was an MCU fan.
1: Mm. I got the other vibe that like <laughs> Owen's like happy to be part of it, <laughs> but he has no clue what's going on. Like Tom said MCU and then he said Marvel Cinematic Universe, you know, the MCU and Owen just goes. Uh, what's that? (laughs) Like he needed a refresher. And then Tom beautifully describes what the MCU is like a inner, like a web of movies where each reference each other. He goes, oh yeah, 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 that's right. (laughs) So I feel like he's just like there for the ride, but I think he is like a perfect addition to this show, especially since like, if you have zero comedy in this show, it's way too dark and way too serious. There has to be some light up, like light, light themes in this, and I think he's like the perfect cast for that. He was an interesting choice to bring on,
0: and I know that in the past, apparently Kevin Feige had offered him roles before.
1: Really? Yeah. You know which he, ones?
0: I don't know, but I, I like he's mentioned it in an interview before. There's there's been a handful of different um, actors that have been uh, approached for different things. Like I know, for example, like Emily Blunt was supposed to be Black Widow. Ah, uh, oh, but wow. she, yeah, she had committed to the role, but I think there was like a scheduling conflict, and that they ended up going with uh, Scarlett Johansson because of that. Um, a bad decision, though. Yeah, yeah. And uh, what's his name? Her husband. God, why am I forgetting? Uh, John
1: Joseph. Oh, uh, John Krasinski.
0: John Krasinski, yeah, was in the running for Captain America.
1: So that I didn't know. Yeah. So that was you know. It's it's
0: interesting because I have heard for a while that they did want to get um, Owen Wilson. He did want to join, but he was very selective as to what he wanted to uh, be on board with. So if if this role called his attention, I I would have liked to kind of hear what exactly <laughs> made him agree to it.
1: What's well, also interesting um, getting to see those audition tapes that Tom Hiddleston had for Thor. Because he originally tried out for Thor and, and they liked him better as the Loki role. And obviously when they have Chris Hemsworth, it's like, that's obviously who Thor looks like. <laughs> um, but his like little audition tapes, the, the snippets that they showed is like, he would have brought us so like a totally different tone and voice to the character. That would have been really interesting to see.
0: Yeah, his look as Thor uh, gave me this like Masters of the Universe vibes. It didn't look off. It looked like it looked like a good version of Thor. It did, but it looked like a 90s version of Thor. I don't know if like, do you ever see um the live action Masters of the Universe movie from the 90s? No, it's pretty bad. But if you go back and look at it, there's like this style tone and almost like this color palette. I guess you could call it a style guide, right, for 90s movies where it was always like the guy with the long hair, but he had this like particular look about him. Almost like this angular thing. I don't know how to describe it. I feel like I'm kind of going
1: off tangent here a little bit, but
0: that's what um, Tom Hiddleston's Thor look reminded me of.
1: Is that Drago from Rocky? What's his name?
0: Oh, oh, the the main character of Masters of the Universe. Yeah. I think it was. Yeah, it's Dolph Lundgren. <laughs> that movie, though that's got to be up there with one of the uh that and super mario i think are always viewed as like the worst (laughs) adaptations yeah so i think that i I was just glad that they got owen wilson on there and i'm i'm kind of a little bit um i i had always kind of envisioned like if they ever do bring like big big name actors can we separate them from the role and like is there a believability factor in there? You get what I mean? Because I feel like I have that issue with someone like Dwayne The Rock Johnson in any role that he's in. I'm always like, no, that's The Rock. (laughs) That's not... Yeah,
1: there's a tough buy-in with certain people who have been typecasted.
0: Uh, Yeah.
1: Or or even if it's, like, by their choice, like, he, Owen Wilson references like I don't think Ben Stiller's ever wondered if I did Shakespeare before and it's funny <laughs> because like all of his movies are with Ben Stiller or like Vince Vaughn so it's like you group these guys together as the comedians but Owen's a pretty serious character in this show um, and I thought that yeah they, they had great chemistry on scene it, it felt weird off scene like Owen was out of his or was like yeah he was out of his depth like he was treading water and Tom was like looking after him but I thought was what was really spectacular to see was the the behind the scenes of that like interrogation scene where they're looking at memories. and then when Tom comes back later on and and watches all the memories of what his timeline would have been alone when he's having these like big emotional breakdowns of like seeing the sad stuff and the happy stuff, and it's like all going through them all at once. he was doing that without any visual cue. They were just like, it's going to be a scene from uh, Thor, Ra- um, like Ragnarok or it's going to be from uh, it's going to be some dark elves or something like that and he like knew like okay this is how I'm going to react to this and then I'm, here I go and he like calls like action on his own like he's an incredible actor yeah that always impresses me because I, I thought at least it'd have like a silent visual there for him yeah just like a printout of the scene or like or very le- or like maybe like a projector of it or something like that but
0: that's how you normally do it. You'll have either a projector, or you'll have a still image just for
1: reference. So yeah, that w- that was pretty impressive. Yeah, and it, it, I definitely gained a lot more respect for Tom Hiddleston. I feel like I always just like overlooked him as a character just because I didn't really care about Loki that much. Um, but that's definitely what this series has made me do is care for him more. And that's what I think was the issue that we talked about before this whole thing started was like, Wanda and Vision were both characters that we didn't care about. Like, Not that like we were negative against or that we really actively liked. It was like, let this show just build us up on them. And kind of the same thing for Falcon, too. Like We liked him in his role, but we didn't really see him otherwise. And much like those other shows, this one's like, you know, built up a better understanding of him at least, at the very least.
0: Yeah, I feel like Loki had the biggest fan base out of the out of the characters that we've explored in the show so far. True. Um, I will say that because I feel like not just from like cosplayers and all that kind of thing, but he's got his own like almost like cultish following. But it's definitely not nearly as big as what the main roster Avengers had. Um, and yeah, like all the characters that we've explored on Disney Plus, they they're not necessarily hated, but they're. Characters that probably don't fall all that often, or didn't fall all that often, to people's top five. Um, if you were to look at it, right? They're, they're not like a Spider-Man. They're not a Captain America. They're not an Iron Man, a
1: Thor, a Hulk. Yeah. I guess. And there's Ivan's top five. <laughs> <laughs> if you're wondering, Spidey's at the top. Okay. <laughs> that set design, though. The 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 yes, we have to talk about look
0: that. at it. Oh my God! Like, and I, and I've seen like the concept images of stuff too, um, because they've they've slowly been like releasing really these like still shots as well. But I always have a fond appreciation for set work. I feel like the art department barely gets any um, credit when it comes to filmmaking. Um, I feel like that's always been one of those departments that like it's almost like sound, right? Like if the sound is not good in a movie, you notice, but if it's good, you never really paid all that much attention to it. The same thing with background but oh my god like they really did a lot for these like practical effects and and really the visuals for every background here
1: it was really like this small stage where they had this performance falcon winter soldier went everywhere but they used a lot of like digital screens for that this was like everything was um they had to build these like massive sets to have, to have all their scenes. Like, the TVA stuck out to me for sure, where it was, like, very Mad Men-esque, like, the 1950s. But there this, this massive, like, labyrinth of corridors leading to rooms, leading to to courtrooms, to, like, the interrogation rooms and all that stuff. Um, and they, like, they spent a good amount of time on that one room that, like, I kind of overlooked. I mean, I laughed at it when they did the, like... Um, where's your ticket thing. But that was in the first episode. Like they, they put so much time into that one room that we got probably like what? Two minutes in. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's, it's always interesting because like having worked on set myself, it's, there's so much detail that goes into things. Like I remember production binders for even for like reality TV, like everything in the background has to have some sort of meaning. Um, for sets like that, though, like that, it's it's heavy work, um, and I think it's, you know, for the for the the, the I guess the most impressive thing about though, is the fact that from the TBA to like the different dimensions that they visit here, there's so many changes in visuals. Like the TBA, we've seen nothing like that before, right? Like with Wandavision, you were going through different eras of sitcom, so you have reference photos. They had to build the actual look of the TBA from the ground up, and it's very analog. Right, it's very like, um, like you said, grounded in the 1950s, but also floating off somewhere in like the, the next century kind of thing. Um, so it was definitely a very unique look. So it's it's always impressive to see what they come up with when, when you have this because like, for anybody that's not aware, usually the art direction that you get for these kinds of shows, they'll just tell the pre-production department like, here's more or less the feel that we're going for, but you never get specific like, oh, I want. Like let's say for the temp pad, I want it to look like a Nokia or something like that. You never get that specific with it, so it's always impressive to see what the end product looks like.
1: Yeah, the, the TVA was for sure impressive, but then I, probably above all else is that Lamentis, uh scene that they built, where they where they did the run through to the to get to the shuttle. That was all one set, and it did like that whole scene was so intense not because like the stakes were high in the in that point in the plot which they were but because they they stitched those cuts together so that it looked like one continuous shot like that's why it felt so intense uh and i couldn't tell when i was watching it i thought it was one shot uh so they did really really good work on that
0: yeah they would only cut whenever they'd hit like a corner or something and it was so subtle and so smooth. I think the way that the director explained it, right, she said they did a couple different tracking shots and then stitched that together to make uh, almost like a fake continuous shot, I guess.
1: Yeah, could you, is that something you could pick up on with your experience in film? Is that something yeah. that was, like, super obvious? And, like, just to me as the average viewer, it's not really an easy pickup?
0: It's not necessarily an easy pickup, but if you if you do... Like if you've edited things as long as I have, you you do definitely have different little cues because people tend to cut in the same places. It's hard to explain. It's almost like for really anybody who who's like sits down and edits videos, you almost know, it's, it's kind of like listening to music. You have different little beats so you can see where they've cut things. It's very subtle. And if you go back and look at the episode, it's almost like every time either Sylvie or Loki will get as close to the camera as they can in one corner, that's what they'll cut
1: and splice in the next shot. Yeah, because they said nine, and I was like, man, I would have been lucky if I spotted, like, two.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I definitely did not spot nine cuts on it, so there's some that that are definitely, like, even out of my um,
1: view. Yeah, really, really clean on those. Is there anything else in this episode that uh, spoke out to you, or any, like, last thoughts on the... On the series as a whole,
0: just the uh, the director of the piece, because I know that mm. um, she's not slated to return uh, for the next season, and I was a little bummed about it because uh, you know Kate Harran, I think she she did a really good job, and I feel like she's definitely one of like from from her talking about how she spent a lot of time in like corporate jobs, and so she knew to make the TVA feel a certain way. I feel like that was very creative of her. So whoever they get to helm the next season, I hope they're just as passionate about what they're doing as she was. She also seemed to really know her stuff in terms of, like, Loki lore. So,
1: Yeah, I think they have pretty high standards where they are very particular about who they're going to let into the family type of thing. It seems like they met with a lot of different potential directors and uh, Kate stuck out to them because she had a full pitch and, and pretty baked idea that made sense. And it was a direction they wanted to go in.
0: And then the 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 pick of Richard Grant when he uh, yeah went in for for his classic Loki um, take uh, that was that was great. And I, I I I still think that that was like probably the best casting they did um, in the show. It just fits so perfectly.
1: Yeah, he he was really great in that role. If you had to pick, what was like your favorite part of the whole series, or like what was your favorite episode as a whole? I guess
0: I think it's probably gotta be. Uh, Journey into Mystery. Five? Just, yeah, just because we got to explore the rest of the Loki variants, and I feel like that world um, and the conflict with the Lioth was probably... Yeah. I feel like they probably could have done things a little bit better for that, but it, I feel like the Lokis kind of stole the show for me
1: um, in that episode. I feel like for me, I'm just like... I always love the original of or something, like the first in a trilogy or something like that. And I just think that the first episode was so good for me, like developing what the issue is going to be and just getting to learn with Loki there about the TVA and about their power. And We introduced so many characters right then that ended up being very important throughout the whole thing.
0: They did, and they spent a pretty good amount of time also almost like catching you up to developing Loki. Back to the point that we lost him in for um, for Infinity War, yeah.
1: To to have to backtrack that far and then get the speed up really really quick, I thought they did so good on that as an intro episode.
0: Yeah, that was something that you and I were kind of anxious to, to see too. Because before going to the series, we, we both both thought, you know, isn't it a little weird that we're doing it? Uh, um, we're using the show. And portraying a version of Loki that we the audience hasn't gotten familiar with. It's, we're literally kind of going back to square one with him. But they did it so nicely in the first episode that I thought it kind of made up for that.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and I think just final thoughts for me is like echoing what we talked about last, last week. Um, the finale of Loki. I just hope that they kind of let uh, Doctor Strange not fix this. And just fix the... Repercussions on like his end, along with Spider Man and whatever else that plays out as. I want Loki to be like the Loki and Sylvie to be the ones to fix it from this end.
0: Yeah, I I do too, and I do have a feeling that that's exactly the route that they're gonna go. I feel like we'll we'll see Doctor Strange and the rest of the cast of characters deal with the aftermath of what Sylvia has just done, but it won't like I feel like the Kang um, threat isn't going to be. It isn't going to play a major role until a few more movies down the line.
1: Yeah, I agree with that. But I think they're like, from the Loki perspective, they've got to fix the TVA. Um, and I guess it's hard to tell, but like in whatever dimension they're in, or possibly like all the dimensions, they need to get the TVA on the same page. Yeah, like an army of Mobiuses working together. <laughs> <laughs> I think the way that they're probably going to do it, though, is like fix the
0: TVA, or they'll, they'll get close to it in season two. And then Kang, the, variant, the the actual Kang the Conqueror, shows up, messes everything up again to the point that then you'll need everybody to kind of step in and and help fix the situation.
1: Yeah, that's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. But it's also a little, sk- a little daunting to get ready to commit to however many movies that's going to require. Yeah, well,
0: <laughs> I'm, I'm, I for one, am looking forward to it. Uh, I do hope that we are we do something a little bit differently with, uh, with the next couple phases. Like, you know, I, I don't mind getting another Thanos level threat, but maybe don't have it take ten years for us to get.
1: The <laughs> that's delivery. like that. Yeah, that's the part that I'm a little hung up on. Is like, I want it to be a big threat, and I know that requires time and for setup. But I don't know if it requires ten years of setup.
0: Yeah, and I don't think I don't think it will. I feel like they'll probably do something quicker with it. Uh, just because I feel like Kang, well I think he's a Thanos level threat for sure. I I, I thought now that they had their rights for Fantastic Four or something like that, we'd get something like Galactus as like a yeah. ten year build up or annihilus
1: or I don't know, take take your pick. I just feel like you can just have the right formula be like these massive enemies. That can build up over a trilogy or something like that. And then just have like people come in to team up and make appearances in somebody else's movie. I, I, I'm totally comfortable with that.
0: Yeah, me too. And and I hope that they do take note of that too. Cause
1: you know, I, I think
0: the MCU is getting a little bit big, but I hope that we're still able to enjoy little pockets of it. Like I'd love for there to be like a cosmic level threat. Maybe we'll have that with the uh, deal with that with the Avengers movies, and we'll have like a street level threat for somebody like a Spider Man, a Daredevil, whatever, Um, and then something a little bit more worldwide, so that people are just kind of able to pick their own story, similar to the comics. Uh, But and and I think that's how they're probably going to build it up because I feel like there's no topping what they've done with Endgame, and I think they understand that it's just a matter of managing the audience that you have now
1: yeah it's really hard for them to recreate the phases one through three like tom was saying like every single movie references like the other movies in a way it's really hard to do that or expect your audience to keep up with that or want to keep up with that so i hope that it is that path that you're laying out that it's one threat that they can all team up for in like a group up movie And then each of them get their own little issues that they fix on their own, or they have a cameo of somebody else coming in. That's like the ideal way to pursue this.
0: The way that the Spider-Man
1: movies have been tackling
0: it, I think, are is is phenomenal. Right? Because like the last one you got a quick like line of like, hey, why isn't Doctor Strange here? Oh, well, he's busy doing something. You know, Mm -hmm. or and there you go. You have your Doctor Strange reference, you know it's connected within that universe, but you don't have to have him meeting with every single mcu character
1: and the first one he used rdj a little bit as well which was great to see
0: yeah and that was a good way to kind of intro spider-man and kind of ease him into um the universe but i feel like now i hope we do get a little bit of separation while still just acknowledging
1: the rest of the of the movies right or let him have the same service of like now he introduces somebody else and then they or somebody else Uses him as like an introduction point in their own movie type of thing. Um, that would be a great way to still have them all tie together, but not in a way that's like you have to see it to understand what's going on.
0: That would be, I mean, Spider Man was like used to introduce the Fantastic Four in the comics just because he was best friends with Human Torch. So something like that I thought would be real, would actually be pretty cool.
1: Yeah. But I think that's going to wrap up our thoughts on Loki here. Um, both really liked the series and are eagerly waiting for a season two as well as what's going to happen in the rest of phase four. But if you think we missed anything important that should have been discussed, feel free to reach out to us on Twitter at BT4thWall for being 4TH. Four Otherwise, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.